This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 133 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. The whole point of school is to prepare kids for adult life, but many people worry we aren't giving kids what they need. Whether kids go right into the workforce after high school or plan to attend college or trade school, they need certain skills to succeed at work. That's why I wanted to have a discussion about the ins and outs of employee training and onboarding with experts in the learning and development field. So in episode 133, I invited Scott Schutte, Zeta Gardner, and Daniel Coonrod from the Fabulous Learning Nerds podcast for a panel discussion on adult learning and employee training. Zeta Gardner is an illustrator and instructional designer with over 10 years of experience bringing clients' ideas to life. Her focus on design gives her an ability to create engaging and visually pleasing learning experiences. She believes learning is a lifelong journey and aspires to be 
part of creating those journeys for others. Daniel Coonrod is a training strategist and instructional design manager who focuses on building great teams and creating effective training materials that drive business success. He excels at using technology to solve traditionally difficult problems and has a track record of great results. Scott Schutte is a learning and development executive with years of experience creating education programs for major corporate enterprise companies. He's focused on building and empowering diverse cross-functional teams, creating comprehensive training strategies, and improving operations to increase revenue growth, productivity, and employee success. In this conversation, we discuss what is adult learning theory, and is it different from the way we approach learning in K-12 education? How do good employee training programs look, and how do companies teach their employees on-the-job skills? What skill gaps may be present in new employees, and what are some skills K-12 staff can teach kids to prepare them for their first job? We also define terms like competency versus mastery, and talk about why this distinction is important to continuous adult learning. I had the opportunity to be on the Fabulous Learning Nerds podcast for episode 75, and in that discussion, we talked about professional development in K-12 because there's a couple ways that I see the fields of K-12 education and learning and development overlapping. So the first way is that when we're talking about learning and employee development, we're talking about what the adults need in order to do their jobs well. And if you are in a school administrator position, you have to think about what your staff needs in order to be able to support the students. So in episode 75 of the Fabulous Learning Nerds podcast, I was a guest on the show and we talked about that topic. But in this conversation, we went the other way because people in K-12 education also need to know what employee onboarding looks like if they're going to be able to prepare students for life after high school. So I thought that this was another way we could bring the ideas from these two fields together and have a really interesting discussion. The reason that I have ventured over to this field is because in my business, I am focusing on training for adults. So I really had to think about how to design the learning experiences in a way that is helpful for people who are in K-12 education. So I actually bring some of these concepts to the School of Clinical Leadership, which is my program for school-based therapists who want to put executive functioning support in place across the day. And if you are working in a school as a therapist or some other related service provider, you know that part of your job is focused on doing therapy and direct intervention with students. But there's another piece that's really important that we often don't learn in school, which is how do you share your knowledge with other people and make sure that teachers and other people who are interacting with students, maybe even the parents, have the skills that they need in order to support students beyond the therapy room. So that means that you can take on a role of providing some of those trainings and supports not just for the students, but for the staff supporting the students. So that's why I bring some of these concepts to the School of Clinical Leadership so that you can emerge as a leader on your multidisciplinary team. To learn more about the program, you can go to drkarendudikbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now, please enjoy this conversation with the fabulous learning nerds.
Today, I am joined by the fabulous learning nerds. So thank you all for being here with me today. I thought we could just go around and do some quick introductions and I guess just tell us who you are and and what you do. So I awesome, guess man. I'm I'm looking at Scott, so we'll start with you. <laughs> oh, great. Fantastic. Hey, my name is Scott Schutte. Uh I'm a learning nerd. Absolutely. And uh, um, more importantly, you know what? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a learning leadership architect and coach, and I really kind of am passionate about um, helping empower others to um, design and deliver fantastic, relevant, impactful learning experiences that help them grow personally, but also help provide impact to the business. And I'm just super excited to be here today. Thank you, Karen. Well, and thank you for being here. So I think then Zeta. I sure. Um, hi, I'm Zeta Gardner. I'm also a learning nerd. Uh, my passion is art and design. I'm an instructional designer as well as an illustrator, and I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you, Karen, for having us. Thank you. And then Dan. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm a fabulous learning nerd, Scott Zeta. Come <laughs> on. Uh, I'm Sorry. a learning and training strategist uh, with over a decade of experience in the field. Um, man, I'm always terrible at these introduction things. And yeah, like I've had the opportunity to help work with and help develop training and guidance for training for some pretty big names. And I'm just like everybody else, super stoked to be here, Karen. Yeah. So I know I have a hard time with the intro too, because it's like, do I go with the 30 second or, you know, the eight minute? Because I can talk for a long time, as you all know, because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I was on yeah. uh, recently <laughs> on your show. Um, and so I know that we were discussing before we hit record just the we're, we're bringing multiple fields together, but they are really related. And there's a lot of really interesting conversations to be had about the work that you're all doing and then what's going on in K-12. And I know that in a lot of the settings that that you're in, you may be in different work settings like um, corporate settings, call center settings, all different industries. There's learning and development and employee training and onboarding and leadership development in all of those different industries. And I know that there's a lot of concern in the ed reform space about, are we really preparing kids for the workforce? Are they learning the skills that they need to be successful in a job setting? So to me, it's when we think about learning and development, it's really that next step beyond K-12 in college or whatever kids do right after high school, and then they go into the workforce. So I think the first thing that might be helpful is just talking about what adult learning theory is, because that's kind of a common term that comes up. Ooh, solid question. Uh, I'll jump in and stumble through an explanation, try to keep it short and simple. Uh, So adult learning theory basically focuses on how we motivate adult learners. You know, those folks who have left kind of like that K through 12 zone, they're starting to transition into, into other learning methods. And how do we motivate them to engage with learning, to maintain that knowledge that we want to transfer to them and to get them the skill sets that they need. Once like that kind of like intrinsic, like I want to learn things starts to wear off that we all have as kids and becomes a, oh, I guess I need to learn this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
Can I add two words to your definition, Dan? I hope so. Yeah, it, it depends. That'd be the two <laughs> words that I really want to add. And and the reason that I say that I've been doing this for like 30 years, and the thing that I think that I – there's two things that I love about being a learning nerd. One is that we all got into it to because we care about people and we want to make a difference for people. Like I overall, I found that to be like 99% true. Like 99% of the people that I work with, they're all like just fantastic humans that want to make the universe a better place. So that, that's fantastic. But the other thing that I've come to learn is that just when I think I know everything, it, it all changes. And that's why I think it depends is so important. Like in the last, Oh my goodness. Um, Five years, I think we've seen more relative change in how we can be more effective in what we're doing and what our audience needs than, say, the prior, at least in my experience, prior 20 years before that. So I'll let you chime in or not. Yeah. Zeta, do you have any thoughts? Um, I think when it comes to um, the adult learner theory and kids, um, there are some things that we can take from when, when they're in in school they're basically the reservoirs are like empty and as they start to like learn they start to fill up and there's a certain point where people become uh to the point where they're they think they're competent enough you know they, they think that they know enough we don't arm our kids enough in school but i think we definitely can do more when it comes to uh you know, just teaching them what kind of skills they'll need for the workforce i am always so fascinated with just some of these different places where i go And I see people who are maybe high school, college age working there and just how different one place is versus another. And I don't want to name names and specific companies or anything like that. But there is this one fast food place that my husband and I like Mm -hmm. to go. And the parking lot is terrible. It's the worst parking lot ever. It's all crammed. And there's always this huge line around the corner. But the people that work at this place are, they get you through quickly, they're friendly, everything is just like a well-oiled machine. And these are maybe high school, college age kids that are working there. And it's the same when you actually go into the restaurant. And I just remember thinking, wow, they must have a really good training program for this entire location and lots of other locations to work that well. So how does that happen? Like, how do you get to that point in an organization where you're able to just, you know, take somebody who is brand new into the workforce and have all of your staff just consistently being on the same page like that? Oh, man. Can I can I jump the gun here? I'm going to yeah, jump the gun. Go I'm going to jump it. in. So traditionally, I've worked in a lot of like call center industries. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about it before. Uh, and it's it's. Oftentimes it's like that first professional job that somebody has like out of high school, in college, after college and getting everybody like on the same page. Like there's so many policies and procedures and technical bits and bobs that you've got to like get into their head. And not only that, but like you've got to get like a whole sense of like corporate work etiquette that like mm-hmm. doesn't exist. You know, like, like, hey, let's talk about how you need to behave. When you're mm-hmm. in this building, when you're in like on a call, when you're talking with customers, when you're talking with people that is touched on, I think, in, in public education is touched on through that in that K through 12 space. You know, we teach manners, we teach people like, hey, this is how you need to behave. <clears throat> but taking that to that next level and making that part of like 
a continuous training regimen, I think is one of those things that like is in that transition from, you know, childhood education to adult learning theory is that thing that I think feels like it needs to be reinforced the most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of technical skills, a lot of things that you got to learn. But the big thing is just like saying like, okay, you, you're used to a classroom, you, you're used to like this environment and that environment has a lot of the same stuff, but we've got to reinforce a couple of behaviors that you probably started to pick up on. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Scott, Zeta. Uh, if I can jump in. Um, when it comes to the training for fast food service, I remember my first job and it was in fast food. <laughs> and we sat through the training and kind of like it was checkbox kind of training about this is how you do it. They kind of walk you through it. But then I think the most important part was actually getting on the line Mm-hmm. taking that position and having someone kind of like be your mentor or be your coach at that point and kind of like guide you through the process and be there as like the relief valve of like, Oh, Hey, I'm having a problem. And then helping assist you with those problems. Like, Hey, whatever questions come up, they can answer them. They can step in if, if they need to. And then once you know the process, then it becomes that well oiled machine. And I think we can kind of do that same thing with our, our teaching and learning when it goes from, you know, the K through 12 to going into the industry is having that coaching, having that reinforcement for the learning that they're getting in training. Yeah. I remember that important services as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all been there. It's it's like a little bit traumatic, but also kind of, you're glad you went through it just because Mm -hmm. I, I have so much more respect for people who work in restaurants now when it's taking a long time. I'm like, maybe somebody dropped a tray all over the place or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot more empathy for them, like on the other side, because you've been there. You're like, yeah, yeah, we've been there. (laughs) One of the things that I think is really important from a leadership perspective is that, you know, we never design um, learning for our audience in a vacuum. You know, there's always that, especially let's take the um, restaurant we're talking about. I have a good idea which one we're talking about, by the way, and their food is very delicious. So that Ooh. being said, <laughs> leadership, right? So the leaders, we, we also have to make sure that they're aligned on what good looks like. They're aligned on the objectives of what we need to accomplish, right? And they should also be aligned on, hey, we need to constantly be taking a look at how we can get better because it doesn't if leadership from top down isn't aligned on these are the objectives and this is what we want to accomplish, then it doesn't matter. Like that training will not matter because at the end of the day, training happens at a point in time and learning happens over time. So as Zadish talks about having those coaches and those mentors kind of help you through that process is great. As long as everybody's on the same page of these are our objectives and this is what good looks like. In the case of the restaurant that I think you're talking about, it's like, hey, here's how it works. Here's our we want to make sure that the experience is less than two minutes. That food has to be nice and tasty and fresh. And oh, by the way, we're going to be kind to people so that they want to come back. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so from a K-12 perspective, you know, and we talked about this on our show, like, hey, our uh are you getting what you need from a leadership perspective on what is it that we really want to do here? And if there's some fuzziness in that, then how we translate that to our kids and how we prepare them for what's going on, you're, you're going to have some hits and you're going to have some misses and you're going to have some frustrations. And so 
I think it's really important in today's environment, like having the courage to have those conversations with your peers and leadership on, hey, mm-hmm. what is it that's important? What is it that we need to focus on? How do I go to bed feeling good about myself that I'm doing the right thing? So these are all things and the whole idea of you don't just teach something and not give support. When I read that, when I first was learning about um, adult learning theory, which is similar to what I got in my my education training and then also my school administrator training, I just read it thinking, well, this is just best practices. Why wouldn't we do this for kids too? It just seemed almost like, I hate to say common sense because I know it doesn't always happen. And if it was common sense, it would probably be happening more often. But um, that was just my thought. So I know we've talked about what good training looks like, where it's we're delivering some information in some way, but then we're also supporting the process along the way, getting the leadership aligned. What happens when things aren't working? What are some things that happen where, um, you know, again, those those places that you don't want to go because the line takes forever or the people don't, um, you know, aren't nice to you, or they're just not very attentive. And, you know, all the things aren't, it's not the well-oiled machine, like some of those other places. I mean, I think you're, you're saying like the symptoms, you know, you're like saying like, Hey, the things aren't working well, things aren't good here. Yeah. You know, I, I, so much of that boils down to the why so many places and so many, and so many, so many roles, so many jobs, it's easy to forget to tell people why they're there. And it's because you just assume, well, they came, they applied, they got a job. They must know why they're here. And, you know, so many training programs are built on that idea of a captive audience, you know, in school. I don't want to say captive audience in school. It sounds bad, but I mean, like, but you it know, is. there are laws. Yeah. You got to be there. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you're not there, phone calls are starting. It's the same thing with work. You got to be there. If you're not there, phone calls are starting. But for training, whether you're a child or an adult, it gets easy to skip that why. We're we're very good, I think, in, in childhood education of saying, this is why you need to know this. And like big picture thinking, this is the big picture why. Maybe not like the specifics. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like there's a serious drop off when we get into like corporate education or just even adult focused education where we just assume, well, you showed up, you paid for the class, you got the job, you must have the motivation. So I don't need to tell you why you're here. You're here for a paycheck or you're here for this or you're here for that. But there's so much more. We're talking about fast food. The The reason for fast food is this really noble cause of making and producing food that is easy and affordable for everybody to get, where time doesn't have to be spent, where somebody can leave work pick up a couple bags of food and go home and return a hero. Like that's a great noble reason for fast food. But I feel like that probably doesn't get told to the people who are there, the people who are running the establishment. Maybe they just assume people are there for a check The you know, the people who are working there are probably there for their first job. And for that check money is a Mm -hmm. powerful motivator, but there's more to it. And if you can impart more, I feel like that's step number one. There's all kinds of other ways for like bad training. But if you're not even doing that first step, everything else is built on shaky ground. Yeah. If you don't know the why. Oh, sorry, Scott. Did you want to jump in? No, you go first. Ladies first. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Sorry. Uh, But if, yeah, if you don't know the why, you don't know why they're motivated. Right. Uh, Another important thing I think would, would improve that situation is feedback. And I think feedback is one of the things, how we fine tune our training 
how we figure out what works and what doesn't, what we should uphold and uplift and what we should drop and discard is, is really important. And having that proper feedback of, hey, what works, what doesn't is so important in making actually something work and make it engaging for whoever you're doing and, to, and help reinforce that why, help show that motivation. Scott? Yeah, I was going to jump in. Like adult learning theory is a guy, his name is Gagne, and he has the nine levels of uh, yep. learning engagement, right? So Dan yeah. talks about, hey, why it's important. We call that a WIFM. What's in it for me, right? So if mm-hmm. you don't have a WIFM, and this applies across the board, like people are going to check out, why am I here? Oh, I don't know why I'm here. Okay, um, we're all distracted, so I'm just going to hang out on Instagram all day. And then when we're we're done, be great. But the top three levels in Gagne's theory for learning engagement all deal with the why. I'll all deal with the what's important to me. Um, and the back end really reinforces what you know um, Zeta's talking about, right? That mm-hmm. time for reflection, that time for um, understanding, right? So I can't remember who said it, but um, no, I think it might be Einstein that said this. So like we don't. Um, uh, don't misquote me, but you know, uh, we, we don't learn by doing, we learn by thinking about what we did. Okay. So that building in that time for reflection, really important part of adult learning theory, really important part of, if you're not doing it in your classroom, giving your kids the opportunity to kind of think about what they learned and how they're going to apply it, then you're really missing out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So when you are going through, when you are assessing training programs, what kinds of things are you all seeing at the different levels where it's, these are the skills that we're having to address over and over again, that maybe the training isn't adequately addressing, or we have to go and um, teach them again. And I know that there could be things like soft skills, technical skills. What are some things that you're seeing across those different levels? Um, let's see, programs, program knowledge. We don't teach kids in school how to use like Excel or Word. Mm. Um, we, we teach them like tone and whatnot when it comes to like writing and literature, but we don't really empower them with the skills that they'll need, which is knowing the hard skills, knowing how to use the programs. And yeah, having a level of emotional intelligence and problem solving, I think would also help our next generation like really thrive in the new landscape that that most businesses are are having right now yeah that's really interesting the the specific program knowledge because i think that in depending on you know what group you're in and what that group is into and the ed reform space there is this sort of pushback on i don't want to say all of those specific technical skills but there is more of a push towards the soft skills and it's like if they have these problem solving skills and these high level reasoning skills, they're going to be able to learn those programming skills later because they're going to be self-directed. But at some point you do need to learn those technical skills. To me, it's, it's a blend. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, you bring, you bring up like self-directed learning and, you know, I feel like that's one of those things where we try really hard in in childhood education to to teach children how to learn to teach like hey like there are going to be things that like you can't cover everything even you know in 12 to 16 and beyond years there's just too much so helping to instill like that love of learning and then reinstilling it like when you get into like that like adult space 
um, you're like a specific example is I remember I was getting, it wasn't my first job, but it was like my first professional job. It was call center world. And somebody was like, Oh, let's talk about active listening. And the first time somebody had described active listening to me, I was like, this is like magic. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, like now it's like such a simple skill. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Active listening. It's you know an important checkbox. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But like the first time I heard about it, I was just like, this is amazing. And then when I became a trainer in that space and I began to teach people about active listening, watching them go like, what? Really? And so like, that's a skill that like, I think we all have an intrinsic understanding of. Mm-hmm. We all have like a, a, like, oh, I know how to listen to people. Yeah. But giving it a name and then giving it a purpose and giving it use cases, I don't think it's something we don't see until adulthood. And then as soon as you do, there's like, uh, you know, that, that one week span where you're just like, I just learned this amazing new skill. And, you know, it's not so brand new. Hopefully it's not super amazing. Hopefully you've been practicing active listening before somebody tells you the name of it. But until it has a name, until it's got like this purpose, it's, it's like, it's amazing. And people like when I, especially young professionals, when I was training and teaching them that the first time we talked about active listening, like everybody would always get really focused on it. And I always found that interesting. I'm going to take a quick break here to talk about the School of Clinical Leadership. The School of Clinical Leadership is a program that helps pediatric therapists and educators learn strategies for supporting executive functioning and deliver them in a model that supports generalization. Many people don't realize that executive functioning is a protective factor for many of the academic, social, and emotional issues impacting kids today. So in the School of Clinical Leadership, I share common mistakes that multidisciplinary teams make when teaching executive functioning and how to correct those mistakes. I also share why kids continue to struggle with problem solving and friendships, even though they're going to pull out therapy and social skills groups. Now, a lot of training programs for clinicians and teachers help you get better at therapy or teaching, but they don't consider the model, the delivery, and the logistics of how you can make it happen in your current role when it comes to making these services happen and getting the supports in place that your students need to succeed. That's why the School of Clinical Leadership is different, because I show you how to address all of these things. So to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the conversation. So is it something that is still considered new now? Do people still have that same reaction or has it gotten more common? I can speak to like, just like when I would do classroom observations for like, you know, trainers in the field and stuff like that. And I think even now young professionals, like I said, it's an intrinsic thing. Like you say, Hey, do you know how to listen? And everybody goes, uh, yeah, I know how to listen. I just answered your question. And you, <laughs> then, and you know, you follow up and you're like, okay, but do you really know how to listen? Do you know how to active listen? And you describe, I mean, like, I, I think even now, I think even now your K through 12, your college, your continuing education group, even as you transition to that adulthood, until you give it a name, again, and a purpose, it doesn't have the same power, doesn't have the same oomph. And there Mm -hmm. are so many of these like soft skills that we're giving an intrinsic understanding of, hey, do you know how to behave in a corporate setting? If you asked most teenagers, like I could go ask my teenage daughter right now, I'm pretty sure she'd say no with a great deal of apprehension and fear 
<laughs> but as soon as I gave it like a name, like, hey, do you know how to like, you know, do you know how to like act professionally? And this is what that means. I think they would go like, oh, yeah, no, I can do that. That's easy. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of skills like that where if you ask, you know, I'm going to say the youth because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I think they would I think they would go, oh, God, no, I don't know how to do that. I'm I'm terrified. And then you say, no, no, it's okay. Do you know how to do these things? And you give them that checklist. They would go, oh, yeah. But now you've given it a name. Like um, I, I used to tell people, now you can put it on your resume. Yeah. And I think it's that idea of like, hey, here's this skill that probably most of us have, but I've given it a name. I've told you what it consists of. Now you can put it on a resume. And I think that's something that is like children move from that child education at K through 12, that college space into that professional zone. There's so many times that we're teaching them skills that we're like, man, I really hope they know this. I really hope they've got this. And you say that, you know, whether that's like, hey, like, do you know how to like active listening? Do you like, do you know soft skills? And everybody, every time you talk about soft skills goes, what's that? And you're like, okay, it's basically like talking, like you're talking to a great family friend. And you know that your family friend is going to tell your mom everything you said. That's soft skills. And they go, oh, yeah, no, I can do that. But until it's defined and named, it's this weird, strange adult skill that they have no idea about. Mm -hmm. Nebulous. I feel like somebody was going to jump in a few minutes ago. Can I tell my Steve Burns story? Can I tell my Steve Burns story? Do it. Zeta's smiling. She knows my Steve. Karen, do you know who Steve Burns is? Um, should I know who he is? Well, you, you probably know who he is. He spoke at, um, he's a keynote at the learning solutions here in 2023, which is fantastic, uh, conference that I had the pleasure to go to. Um, you know who Steve Burns is. Steve Burns is Steve from Blue's Clues. Oh, oh so yeah. You know who Steve from <laughs> Blue's Clues is, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. By the way, not a dry eye in the auditorium. Thousands of people, um, adults like me, fifty years old, crying our eyes out. Like that's not me. I'm. I'm not. At any rate, one of the things he said in his speech was that listening, intent, active listening, is the deepest gift of love that you can give to anybody. And that just totally stuck with me. And we're having this conversation about listening. And I just want to scream because, you know, Dan, you're right. You got to give it a name. But I just, we live in a society where everybody wants to be heard so much. Look at social media. It's not about listening to anybody. It's really about, hey, look at me. I want to be heard. Hey, look at me. Mm -hmm. I want to be heard. I think about my educational experiences. Like people get up front like, hey, listen to me. I'm the smart one in the room. Listen, listen, listen to me. And and really it's all about being heard. I feel like we can do a fantastic service to our children by modeling good active listening and then naming it. And I'm, I'm serious, like really, really listen, like uncomfortable listening, like, Hey, what does everybody think about this? And don't jump in with an answer after 10 seconds and no one's got it. Like, let it sit, let it sit and create an environment where um, people feel empowered to go ahead and speak their truth and that it's safe to go ahead and give the wrong answer. Or we're all going to learn and grow. And everybody, we're going to call this act of listening. It'll put Dan out of a job later on, but I think Dan would be okay with that. That's my Steve Burns story. I'm guessing Dan has many, many other skills and things he could train on. Probably. <laughs> Maybe. But- 
a couple. Maybe. <laughs> and, You'd and be I okay would... if you never had to teach that again, though, right, Dan? No, I tell you what, um, I'll. As we're talking about skills that like don't make the jump to an adult learner or just aren't there, mm-hmm. man, uh, soft skills for anybody listening, soft skills is so paramount. Paramountly, that's not a word, but I'm gonna run with it. So important, <laughs> so important. It was we talk about as somebody who's been a hiring manager. And I have had to decide, like, hey, who do I bring on to my team? Who do I bring on to my team of professionals? You know, like, here's all these people with all of these amazing skills, all of this, these bits of knowledge they've garnered over the start of their career or through college education or just have picked up through, like, love of learning. And I can't tell you how many times it's come down to that person will probably be a good team fit. That person will probably be able to learn more than just what they've come in with. And like, that's such a powerful collection of soft skills. Again, it doesn't have, it doesn't have point or purpose until you name it. And if you're out there wondering what can you do to prepare your students to be successful in life, teaching them how to interact with and to find and get the things they need and want out of society through soft skills is like job number one. Like that's such an important skill. And I think every corporate job I've had where we have to deal with customers and that's more and more as we, you know, get more and more service-based. Yeah. It's such an important skill. And it's a skill that we jump in and spend the most amount of time in. And it's the skill that fixes the mistakes that you're inevitably going to make when you're learning a new set of skills on the job, which is what inevitably happens you know, adult learning theory and corporate training because you got to practice. Sorry, I'm going to go off my soapbox now. Where's my applause drop? Yeah. (laughs) I got excited. I know. I love it. Well, and and again, the, a lot of the, the work that I do and the things that I talk about are talking about this blend of, we do need to teach the, the reading and the writing and the academic skills, but that's, that's not all we need to teach. We need the real experiences. So I am, Curious to just talk a little bit about this this concept of having competency of something versus mastery. I know that that's something that you talk a lot about, Scott. So you want to start us off with this yes, discussion? Thank you. Thank you for letting me start off because I'm really passionate about this because this is changing. So, you know, I think that sometimes we really focus in, especially in, in adult learning, we train to mastery. Like, here's this thing that people need to know, right? So we're going to go ahead and train you that, that you know this, right? Like, um, maybe it's like, how do I, how do I, how do I make that burger on the line? This is, this is mastery, but competency, the, this idea that I, I've, I've, I've learned something, but now I, I take it and I do it every day and I get better at it. You know, that's, that's competency, something that I'm good at. And focusing in on designing learning to competency is so important because otherwise what happens is you think about it this way, like over a period of time, you know, learning is like this bell curve, like it's at the bottom of the bell curve. Like, I don't know nothing. I'm an, I'm an empty bucket. Just fill me up. It goes zoop, goes up. We go to mastery, boom, done. And then if I don't use it, 
I'm, I'm right there at the bottom again, right? So what we want to do is like train to competency. How do I, how do I push that curve out as long as I can, right? Provide little opportunities for them to practice, little opportunities for them to get mentoring, little opportunities to find what they need when they need it so that we can get to competency because that's where the rubber hits the world. In, in my world, in the corporate world, that's where the rubber hits the road. In, in the K through 12 world, I believe that it's got to be pretty close to it as well. Like, yep. don't mm-hmm. we want our kids to like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to raise my hand. If this is true, can't remember 75% of the stuff I learned in college. Like I don't remember any of it, um, you know, uh, but I did it. And that, that was great. Cause we trained to mastery and not the competency. Those things that I actually practice and do all the time. Those are the things that are important. And so I feel like from an, from an educational perspective, like if you can really focus in on that, like how do I ensure that my people walk away with not just knowing something that they'll forget, but actually having the schools and excuse me, the skills and the knowledge and the and the wherewithal and the desire to um, actually put into practice what I give them that that's the key. Yeah. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? In, uh, obviously, I do. Surprise. Uh, I was going <laughs> to jump in. I'm shocked. 100%. I know, right? I 100% agree. Like, I think so much of those terms get confused outside of like our fields, outside of Mm -hmm. like learning and development. Because, you know, you ask like an operations person, you ask like a a school administrator. And if you say, well, hey, do you want them to just know it? Do you want them to master it? They're going to say master. They go, they got to master this. They have to, this is such an important skill. Mm -hmm. But like, even in corporate space, every corporate group that I've worked with, that I've worked for, they've got the 80% rule. Like, Hey, be right four out of five times. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's like, that's the box. That's the mark. And I mean, it's a little bit more forgiving. I vaguely remember from my time in school, I'm sure it's changed as a long time ago, but you know, that that's, that's competency. Like, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting that average space. You're able to do it more often than not. Like that's competency and competency is really okay. Like that's good, but I think too many folks, uh, outside, like I said, of, of our of our industry, of our profession, they like the word mastery. They like that like idea that like, oh, I'm gonna tell them and they're gonna know it and they're gonna be like an encyclopedia and it'll be great. It's like no, that that's that's not what you're gonna get right away. <laughs> yeah, Theta, do you have any any other additional? additional insight on that? Uh, I think it's already been basically been covered. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, if I can, no, you're fine. Um, if I can put my two bits in there, you're no, I, I love that you guys can like go on and talk about all of this. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, so when it comes to competency, there's a saying, it's like a Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. But if you hear the whole phrase, it's what it's, um, I can't remember. Um, it's better than to be master of. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none is better than just a master of one. And I think that's mm-hmm. the whole competency thing is, is especially in, in like nowadays where things are kind of like diversifying, you have to have more than just one skill set. It's actually best to be a little bit competent in more than one pocket than a master of one thing that might become defunct. You know. Like, and, and the whole scheme of things, you know, like, especially with like generative AI coming in, 
it's probably going to be taking some people's jobs or at least transforming those jobs to a degree. And I think it's good to, to, to get to that point of competency, especially when then the learner can then motivate themselves to where they want to grow next. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is yeah. The, the word mastery is used a lot in education in different ways. And so it's used in special ed, because if you have an individualized education plan for a student, they have goals and they have to master their goals. So you have to say, you know, they did did meet the goal or they didn't meet the goal. And it's interesting because 80% is a common place where people go for a percentage of mastery. Now, there are different ways that we try to work in competency, even though we don't use the language exactly the same. And they use that in the general education as well. But the jack of all trades things comes up a lot, not just with the kids, but with the professionals, with the, um, you know, as a therapist, am I just really good at treating this one area? Or should I try to be competent in all these things? I feel like the entrepreneur space sort of um, really promoted this idea of being a specialist and like, just focus on the one thing and don't spread yourself thin and burn all boats and focus on this one area. And then it, uh, I was like, but, but also it's good to be well-rounded. So that's a whole conversation that. Oh yeah. Like the Renaissance (laughs) man, you know? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I think it's really important and sometimes we forget about this is this idea that from competency, it's okay to have scaffolding. Does everybody know what I mean by that? A support or guidance. I'd love yeah. to know what you, how you define it. Cause it's well, used a lot in education. So yeah, yeah. sure. It is a, a scaffolding is my understanding. Scaffolding is to provide a, a place where our learner can go a smart friend where they can get the information and then eventually they don't need it anymore. So you take the scaffolding away and we live mm-hmm. in an environment today where I can get the answer to anything that I want very quickly. Like when I grew up and I went to school, we had to go to the library. We got the Encyclopedia Britannica and we had a, a fun time doing that today. Um, even with, you know, with AI, I, oh my gosh, our ability to get the answers that we want, right? Um, mm-hmm. With the right prompt engineering is unbelievable. Um, that being said, I, I feel sometimes from a competency perspective, we we, we want to throw that out. Like, Hey, we, I want to make sure they get everything from me. And I'm like, no, no, it's totally okay to scaffold this. Right. So go ahead and give them and give the, like, it's better to teach your kids the desire and the wonder for knowledge and how to go get that knowledge so that they can be better. And to me, that's part of, that's part of competency, right? That's, that's a key component to competency because I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to be able to give them everything that they need to get there. But I can scaffold that and I can give them an opportunity to go ahead and find that and the tools necessary to do that. And that also prolongates their ability to be effective in whatever it is that I want them to do. Oh, yeah. Not just teach them to learn, but to teach them how to learn. Correct. I think it's so important. Yeah. 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 And it's weird because we're like, put those phones down, everybody. Can't have those phones. We're in class. Everybody got to pay attention to me. Right. Right. We're all fighting that. Like, 
what a what a great tool you got there. Can you? Oh my gosh, I and, and I know it's like forbidden, like that's for forbidden fruit. Everybody's gonna like be turning this off right now. <laughs> One of the things I'm like, can we go ahead and take those things that we commonly use on an everyday basis, put some learning in there, actually design it in our instructor led training to, hey, go ahead and take out your phones right now, and we're either gonna take a quiz on it or we're gonna go ahead and have you go find something with it, and we'll give you a couple minutes to go ahead and do that, and we're gonna discuss it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and great, great instructors that know are already doing it. Yeah. There are people that, that do that, Dan mm-hmm. or you. <laughs> oh no, I was just Jumping saying, in. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. And I, I, I would love to build like a reflection engagement activity where it's just like, okay, everybody pull out your phones and let's double check this. But also I can just imagine like the, the it and hr groups who are like you did what you told them to pull out their phones in the classroom like yes i did <laughs> <laughs> there are They're... different philosophies on this there are a lot of people who are saying we need to show them how to use the phones it's not realistic this is a digital society we need to especially for high school kids it's a little different for elementary i have seen different policies some schools are leave your phone in your locker we want you to be engaged and others are doing kind of like you're suggesting it, it depends on just kind of depends on where they are at with their philosophy and the community, the the community and the the aspects of the community impact it too. You know, it's, it's the same thing in the corporate space where you've got so many, so many groups that are like, nope, leave your phones in your desk or locked up or put away, you know, don't engage with them. I mean, obviously, especially while you're working, if you've got Mm -hmm. like, you know, PII, but uh, you know, even like in the classroom, like, nope, nope, I'm the sage on the stage, stay focused on your trainer. And it's like, no, like 100%, like you could, mm, mm, uh, there's, it's tough. It's tough to make that transition to what was to what will be. It's tough, yeah. but exciting. Part of the way that scaffolding is used in education is it's, it does mean support, but also means part of the the self-regulation. Are you able to realize that you're off task and come back. And and I think that part of the different um, educational programming, it does have to do with where a student is and their ability to do that. And can they handle being able to put their phone down when they need to? And eventually the goal is to be where they can have it there. They can go and log in and then put it down. That's always the goal. And that's always where we're trying to get. It's just where is that student in that process? And are they ready for this yet? Because you putting some parameters around where they, when they can take their phone out is a form of scaffolding because you are creating that structure. So that's one one way that people are trying to work through that very, uh, very tricky thing that I think we're all trying to trying to find the right way to do it. Um, personally, I would say I'm pretty excited with kind of the directions that we can go, like yeah. using that as one of the tools in the tool belt, um, just having proper guidance and making sure that they're not like jumping to other like sites that they shouldn't be would be part of that process of, oh, hey, no, we have to be all aligned mm-hmm. and uh, make sure that we're still all on the same page trying to, you know, work toward a toward that goal. Yeah, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And- I think adults deal with that. I deal with that all the time where I'm like, oh, wait, I was working on this presentation and now I'm on Facebook. What am I doing? You know, it's <laughs> an important, important yep. skill. Oh, yeah. Notification interruptions. Okay. It's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Well, um, I know that we could probably 
keep, I could keep throwing concepts at all of you for a long time, but I think it's a good place to wrap up. So where can people go if they want to learn more about all of you, your podcast and where they can connect with you? I can jump in here. I, I feel like this is, this is kind of your thing. Yeah. So for those of you guys who don't already know, you can find us at www.thelearningnerds.com. That's for any like updates. We put our new shows up there. You can find out more about us. Uh, we're on Facebook, Fab Learning Nerds. Mm, yeah, I think I got it. I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. You can find us on all the streaming services. We're also part of the B Podcast Network with Karen. Yay. Yay. Little Thank plug for the network. Yeah. I know. It's good. It's good. Heck yeah. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for inviting us. This Thanks for excellent, having us. Awesome discussion. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for all the information about where you can connect with the fabulous learning nerds and where you can listen to my interview on their show. Also, if you are interested in learning more about how you can design direct interventions and programming needed to support executive functioning and create a plan for putting these interventions in place with your caseload, then check out the School of Clinical Leadership. Just go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership for more information. As always, it helps me so much if you rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for a guest, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. 
Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.